Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Matthew 14, 22, and we are going to read all the way through verse 33. I'm going, I'm going to read for us, and you can follow along either through your Bible or the verses that are displayed on the screen in front of you. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he sent the crowds away, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night... Later than that, that's 3 a.m. for some of us who don't know. He came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to walk, come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came, to, came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he came frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, we thank you for allowing us to gather in your presence. In this house, God, with our hands lifted up, with our hearts surrendered fully unto you, God. God, I pray that you would come with your word, God. Would you speak to us? Would you touch our hearts, God? Would you mold our hearts, God? Would you conform our minds and our wills, God? Help us to delve our, uh, dive ourselves into your will, God, help us to take that necessary step of faith so that we may live the life that you have called us for, Lord. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, opportunity cost. Opportunity cost. Any of you guys know what that means? Opportunity cost. Some of us or may, many of us have been out of school for quite some time. Opportunity cost. It's an economics term. And it is defined this way. A benefit or value of something must be given up to acquire or achieve something else. A benefit or value of something must be given up to acquire or achieve something else. For example, if I were to buy something, if I were to go to a store and I really want that pack of chocolates, what must I do? In order for me to attain that box of chocolates, what must I do? I'm going to reach deeply into my pockets. Hopefully, there's some money in it. I'm going to pull out my dollar bills. I'm going to pay my money. In exchange for my money, I will have gotten a box of chocolates, which I want. It, it, it's a term that describes this trans, uh, transactionary activity where in order for me to gain something, I must give up something that already belongs to me. And this term expands far beyond just the economics 
or something that involves of monetary value, but we could also use this term in describing if I were to spend some time, if I want to spend more time with my family at home, guess what? There's a cost, there's a price that must be paid for that to be possible. For me, it may, it may be spending less time with my family, I mean, uh, less time with my friends. It would require of me to surrender my gym time. Some of you guys know what that means, right? We used to work out, but we don't because we're married with kids, and, and there, I just, there's just not enough time in a day. Let's say I really want to go out. I actually, I really want a nice road bike or nice scooter, electric scooter. I really want that, by the way, honey. I, I, let's say we want that, right? But I don't have the money. So what must I do for me to buy that scooter? What? I'm going to start saving up. I'm going to forego. I'm going to pay the price of not eating out as much, not spending more money on clothes so that I may save up and buy the scooter that I would really want. So that... Uh, uh, that transaction is described by the word opportunity cost. You name anything in the world, in this world. If you want something, in exchange you must give up something that already belongs to you. Oftentimes, we are too unwilling, when we are unwilling to give up what we have, it robs us of the opportunity of something new, something different. That may be an item, that may be a widget, that may also uh, uh, incorporate experiences as well. And sometimes, what lies at the heart of us exchanging, giving up something that we have, is fear. Fear of losing, fear of the unknown, whatever you want to call it. You know, as humans, we are, most of us, by nature, we are rather risk-averse. Would you guys agree that as human beings, uh, we want to avoid as many risks as possible? Whether it be monetary or egotistical, we operate out of this self-preservation mode, and we want to minimize, if possible, all the risks onto ourselves. That's good, and it's good to be safe. But on the flip side of that is that oftentimes we sit back, we, uh, we wonder what life could be, what life should be, uh, while not wanting to surrender anything that we have. And we sit in our own places, we, uh, we refuse to move, we refuse to take a step of faith, and, but while wanting and demanding all of these new experiences that might await us. All that to say is that if you want something good, you better risk something. You guys, you guys, are you guys okay with that? You guys agree uh, to a certain extent? You know, I'm not really a hockey guy. I play many sports, but hockey is not one of them. Uh, but there's a famous quote by one of the all-time greats. He said this, You miss 100% of the shots you do not take. Some of you guys apply this when you play basketball. You shoot all the time. Don't do that. Okay? But there's a saying, you miss 100% of the shots that you do not take. Let's translate that statement into the lives of our faith. If we are not attempting anything that involves faith, we will never experience God in the greater realms that reach beyond our understanding. And this is very, very sad in our own faith lives. We comfortably place ourselves in the box. We love the box. Uh, this box that we call is what? Uh, it's what we understand, 
what we have experienced, what we feel comfortable in. So we call that a box. And we want our lives to revolve around this box that we have built up during the course of our lives. And what we do when we come into our relationship with God is that we try to bring God into this box. Say, God, this is my life. This is where I am. I feel comfortable here, God. I invite you to my life. And we want God to do so many things, but we make sure that God operates within the realm of our box. And we get really uncomfortable if God tries to be big and try to get out of the box. And we think having greater faith is building a bigger box. When in reality, having greater faith is what? Breaking down the walls of this box that we love so much. Having greater faith is to not boxing at all where God should be. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. If I were to paraphrase that in just plain language, I think I would define it this way. Faith is what brings, brings us, brings the realm of the unknown. Or, or faith, is the, uh, uh, faith is bringing the realm of the unknown or the impossible and make that into a tangible reality for us. So according to the scriptures, the key vehicle or the, the key instrument in allowing the impossible into possibility, the unknown reality to possibility to, to reality is what? That component is faith. So the faith, you could call it whatever you want. Faith is a connector or whatever you want to call this is a connector. Hope of future versus present reality. Faith is a connector. What is seen and unseen, faith is a connector. What I wish, what promise is, faith is a connector. What is possible and what is impossible. Where we are versus where we want to be. What we actually see or what we long to see. Faith is a connector which allows us to tap into something greater than our own ability. You know, in today's sermon, I want to talk about living according to faith. If I were to ask each and every one of us, how, can, uh, how would you answer the question, how well do you live your life? That is, your life really lived according to your faith. Meaning day to day, and how many, and, and how uh, how often are you called into instances where you would have to rely on the provision and the power of God during the course of your day or your week? If you're not cornered into places of uh, discomfort and a little bit of anxiety and fear, I think. Perhaps we are playing it too safe. I think because every time, every time I I read the scriptures, every time I I, I try to, uh, 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 what is it? Not not channel, but every time I try to fix my eyes on God and, and, and gather my heart and surrender my desires unto Him, He always, always demands or requires that I give up something in return. Whatever it is that I'm comfortable with, Whatever it is that I hold on to stronger than my faith in God, God will always challenge us us to 
reach beyond our experiences and our understanding. It's a courage to step outside the margins and the building upon God's reality and purposes. The kind of faith that launched Peter out of the boat he was in and on to meet Jesus on the water. It's this radical faith. And to live our lives no longer, not on the basis of what we think we cannot do, but on what we know God can do and on the basis of what we know that God wants to do in and through us. Think about that statement. Think about the possibilities there may be if we live our lives according to this statement. To not live on what cannot be done according to our abilities, but thinking about the possibility and God's desire what He may want to do in and through our lives. You see, faith living is is to live not on the basis of what others tell us, not on the basis of our narrow concepts of the world, not on the basis of narrow faith, but on the basis of what God can do through us when we allow Him to do so. It calls us to journey just like Abraham, just like uh, uh, Moses, just like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Mary, Matthew, Peter. You name every single character in the Bible. Countless men and women of faith to hope against hope that God is still going to make good on His promises. But that's going to cost you. It sounds great when we think of God's promises, God's blessing, and God's guarantee that He will take care of us. But every single one of God's promises, Old Testament and New Testament, it has always required one thing. It is faith. Opportunity cost. God says, there is an opportunity. I I have wonderful plans for you, but it's going to require your faith. This journey of faith is long and hard. It is filled with risk and potential for failure. But but what I do know for a fact is that God is calling us out of where we currently are and onto where He is standing. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not content living my life where I'm feeling comfortable at. At the end of my lifetime, if my life is summed up with, man, Scott did great, he did amazing things, All on his own, he maximized his full potential and his ability. He did great. If that is the only description of my life, I I mean, looking ahead, I'm thinking ahead, I will be so depressed. I don't know about you guys, I don't want to live my life just maxing out my potential. I'm so not smart. I, I mean, God can, I mean... Maybe there's some good stuff. But if, I, if that's all I look forward to, man, that depresses me. When I think about God, when I think about my faith life, what I dream of, it's always beyond my abilities. It's always beyond my capabilities. And I want to tap into that. Because what God envisions for me, what God, is, what God dreams of me and my life is beyond my abilities. And today, as we read into this passage, I want us to draw out some truths from this text. To believe and live out what Jesus sees. 
to live the life that is outside or beyond the realm of our own abilities and to not lose sight of Christ through the journey we're called unto. Hopefully, as we read through the specific verses in this passage that we had read earlier, I hope to inspire greater faith. If I can, at the end of this sermon, have you longing for more, having longing for, you know what, I'm not content with my life. I want to get off I want to get up and be where Jesus is. If that's, if at the end of today's sermon, if that's it, man, we're, we're in good shape. So let's read into what the passage is saying to us today. So Jesus had just finished feeding the crowd. You guys know the story, right? Five loaves and two fish. Jesus fed nearly 20,000 people. The scriptures tell us 5,000, but back in the days, they did not include women, small children, and elderly people. So we have to add on more people to the number of 5,000, meaning Jesus fed just five loaves, two fish, 20,000 people. Amazing, amazing outing. People were like amazed, filled up, and they were so curious about what more that Jesus would do. And reading the verses leading up to this passage, I mean, it was a successful, successful time of ministry. People witnessed a miracle, right? And now... Jesus and the disciples are retreating away from the crowd. It says, verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. So they actually crossed the body of water to get to the other side, right? So Jesus put the disciples on the boat and made them go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. So now Jesus is having to catch up to the disciples that are already on the boat. And we see this awesome encounter between Jesus and his disciples. Verse 25 and on, it says, And in the fourth watch of the night, this is later in the night, around 3 a.m. So 3 a.m. Is, is most of us are sleeping, right? If you're waking up 3 a.m., usually you're groggy, you're angry that you're not sleeping through the night, right? So 3 a.m., Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. I'm say terrified. They were terrified. They're certainly not imagining to see anybody walking on water, right? That word terrified is not the word, is not the same word as the word scared or afraid. Because in just a couple of verses later that we see the word afraid, which we know the word phobos, where we get the English word phobia. But here the word terrified is not phobos or, uh, or phobia. It's not fear. The word terrified Literal translation of that is, they were greatly disturbed. Meaning they were bothered by something. That, so that word disturbed is beyond just being scared. They were disturbed. They were anxious. Their hearts were uneasy and unsettling because it was something beyond what they're accustomed to seeing. Meaning there's a discord, dissonance between their logic, what they believed in their minds, what they had, to, and the, the physical experiences. There's a mismatch all the way around. So they were kind of thinking logical system has been offset. For that's that reason that the, the word described there is terrified. They were uh, uh, greatly disturbed. Meaning, what is this type of implication? You see, when God is about to move in your life, when God is about to call you onto something new, something awesome, something that it is on His scale, you will always, always feel this way. There's always an element of, man, what is this? There's always a level of discomfort. And that is a little bit different than just fear and fear itself. 
there's a cloud of doubt that sets in. You begin to question everything that you have seen during the course of your life. Your reason gets messed up a little bit. You see, this new chapter ahead of us always seems to to be too daunting for us to face. But that uncomfortable feeling, that out-of-the-element feeling, is the initiating point of God's work in and through us. Did you guys catch me in that? God's unfolding of His plan and His miracles in our lives are often met not with joy, not with confirmation, not with an element of full understanding, but when God unfolds His plans, when God uh, uh, reveals His desire in His heart for us, our natural reaction oftentimes is, man, I'm not sure what this is. Perhaps some of you guys are in that place today. Some of you guys, when you look ahead of your life, some of you guys are really ambitious. You try to imagine your life five years. You know what? Let's, let's scale back, dial it back a little bit. When you imagine five months, hey, forget, one month ahead, man, you, you, your heart begins to get messed up. You get scared and you doubt and you wonder if you're ever going to make it through. And the sense that you have, you have an inclination of what God is nudging you to do, but it doesn't quite make sense. Let me encourage you with this sense. Perhaps that level of discomfort and lack of confidence is maybe a good thing. Because God is about to do something new, something great in and through your life. And Jesus says, at the height, and the anxiety, at the height of anxiety and fear for the disciples, Jesus says, take Courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus was such a gangster. He doesn't have to say much. He says, just settle down. It is I. Don't you just love that? Sometimes we demand so much more than simple statement. Sometimes we demand from God a book and an explanation of what he's doing in our lives. And we demand the specific instructions. God, tell us exactly what you're doing. When in reality, life lived according to faith. When God says, do not fear, it is I. May that be enough for us. And God says to us, it is I. I love that part. Anyways, so let's get to the good part or the main story or the main conflict of today's sermon. Peter says, upon seeing Jesus walking on water, so Jesus is doing his thing, right? He's kind of surfing, just chilling on water, walking on water, just not even moving, right? He's not even swimming. swimming. He's not paddling, doing none of that. And Peter sees Jesus. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And I love that Peter doesn't say, Jesus, can I come to you? Jesus says, can I do what you're doing? Peter understood something. Peter understood on the power of the words of Jesus. He says, if it is you, command me to come to you 
on the water. He understood the power of the command of Jesus. He understood the life-giving power of Jesus' words. And he says, May it be your words, may it be your command that allows me to walk on water. We're not even talking about faith. We're not even talking about Peter obeying the prompt of Jesus. But Peter intuitively already knew that if he was going to do anything beyond his ability, it was going to be on the terms of Jesus, the Lord, the rabbi himself. He says, Lord, rabbi, teacher, if it is you, I'm hoping it's you, if it is you, now command me to come to you. On the water. Peter saw Jesus. And he desired to be where Jesus was. It didn't matter what Jesus was doing. It didn't matter I don't think where Jesus was. It didn't matter what time of the day it was. It didn't matter if Peter thought he couldn't do it. Or or he could do it. It didn't matter that Jesus. uh, the, The miracle that he had just witnessed. Was completely different. That was on dry land. It didn't matter for Peter. Peter, the focus of his faith, the foundation of faith was what? All about Jesus. It's all about, it was all about where Jesus was standing. You see, the boat is just a starting point. That's where most people are, but but, but it wasn't a place for them to stay either. Isn't it interesting, out of the 12 disciples, only one had the courage, or not even the courage to walk on water. One, only one was just curious to explore the, the possibility of Jesus standing on water. Only one of them. I mean, this is besides the main point today, but what were the other 11 thinking? When G- Peter is getting off the boat, I'm thinking, I'm not even asking at that point. I'm jumping in too. If this guy, Peter, this guy, one of... This guy, I'm jumping in. But we don't even see any of them doing anything that Peter attempted. That's besides the point. Anyways, Peter says, Jesus, command me to walk on water. Jesus, command me to do the impossible. You know what he's saying? Jesus, now I see what you're doing. Now command me to do only what you are able to do. Are you with me so far? This is a greatness of Peter's faith. That box that he had, if he ever had one, he threw it out into the ocean. Forget about what I know. Forget about what I'm able to comprehend on my own. Forget about it. Jesus, whatever it is that you're seeing, whatever it is that you're doing, make me do it now. If you want to walk on water, you got to first get out of the boat, friends. Let me repeat that. If you want to walk on water, you better get out of the boat. You can't walk on water if you're too afraid to leave in your boat. Are you with me? You can't dream, you can't desire to do miracles if you are unwilling to exercise the faith that God has given to you. Now he tells us that Peter got down out of the boat, 
walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Peter is walking on water. I mean, of so many miracles, I pray that, God, if I ever have the opportunity, I want to be part of this one. I want to walk on water. You see, Peter, as soon as he took that first step of faith, he was floating on water. He's able to begin to come toward Jesus. You see, may you understand that your leaving activates God. You want God to move in your life? It requires you to leave your comfort zone. Abraham was required of that as well. It took all of him leaving his hometown, Uz. All 2,000 servants, countless cattle, say, you know what? God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. It actually required Abraham to leave everything behind. Not while well, he took His, every, he took people with him, but it, it required him to leave his homeland and began the journey of the great unknown. Abraham had to exercise his faith. Moses was hiding as an ex-convict, a murderer, being a shepherd. He went from a prince of the most powerful empire in the world, came to a runaway, ex-convict, ex-murderer, a shepherd working for his father-in-law. He was just a shepherd boy or shepherd man. You know how long he was doing that for? For 40 years. 40 years. A lot of people understand that Moses' journey with the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness. We forget that he he was a shepherd for 40 years. Can you imagine that? 80 years? At the end of his life, Moses didn't even get to see the promised land? Are you kidding me? Moses had to leave for the promise of God to be unfolded in his life. And so many other characters in the Bible, it required all of them to leave their homes, leave their comfort zones. So friends, may you and I understand today that our leaving activates God. You cannot live for God if you will not leave for God. Where are you standing today? How big, how deep does the stake run? The stake that you have pegged over the course of your lives and you have chained yourself to it, saying, God, I am comfortable here. God, this is my familiar area. I love where I am. I love the little empire that I get to build, God. But please, I invite you. You're a welcomed guest in my house. But please, don't tell me to leave my home. Friends, leaving activates God. What is the Lord Jesus commanding you to do today? Or look around in your life. Simply ask the question, where is Jesus standing? If he's already not standing where you are, if he's somewhere outside of where you are standing, may you have the courage to look to him 
and have and, and dare yourself to take that first step of faith. The things that are your, the things that are your clinging on to, things that are, you are just uh, uh, so fearful of losing, things that are, you are seeking to have, I pray that they would not be holding you down at the time which God calls us to lunge forward towards Him. And that's just the nature of our faith lives. It's going to cost you something. You have to take risks. You have to take risks. You know, I'm not an expert in relationships. And you guys know this through the numerous stories that I've told on the pulpit and off the pulpit. But there's one key principle that I've held on to as long as I can remember being a boy. Is that I think I'm a, I, I may have been in high school or something. I said, you know what? Rejection is better than regret. Uh, for just a, just a person that I am, I, just, I, am, I was way too curious and, and I, I, like my, my desire to have something, to want something, or to have someone, like it was too strong. I, you know, I, I really had little problem being rejected. But I could not live with myself have I not just gone for it. So I was one of those guys that I asked out a lot of people. And I was one of those guys that I got a ton of rejections. I mean, junior high, high school, I mean... My record is, is not so pristine. But for me, I'm good with that. I think when I look back, that there's closure to all like 17 rejections in my life. I'm good with that. But I love the fact that, hey, you know, who, who knows? Who, who I, I mean, I didn't really know. Maybe my self-perception was, was mismatching. <laughs> this whole concept of like, what, where my league is, who my league, I mean, maybe that was way off. But after all the years of, of have living through, I'm having lived through those seasons, I'm good with that. At least I tried. 100% of the shots you don't take, you miss. You know, I, missed, I may have missed 95% of the shots, but at least I took them. Even I remember like we were apart. I was living in Afghanistan. She was in the States. We had already been broken up for at least two, a good two years. And I'm thinking, I'm like dying, right? The summer team has come, spent two months, time of my life. And as soon as they left, I fell into deep depression. I had no one living with me in my home. No human, like meaningful human contact. I'm like, I'm 29. I'm going to live. I'm going to like live the rest of my life alone. No one's going to even care that I, I exist. And I, I, I stayed up for five days straight. I was like, what is this? Insomnia hit me. Because I was so like broken hearted, so miserable, right? And, and I broke all the rules to say, never talk to your ex-girlfriends. Never be the first one to reach out. You know what? I, you know what? I went to the internet, internet cafe. It wasn't even the internet cafe. UN headquarters in our city. All the NGO workers would go to this place to send like important emails. I went to that place every single day so that I could write to Esther. I wrote an email What's the worst? I'm going to just go for it. What's the worst that could happen? I'm still single. So she says no. Then what? I, no status change. But what if it works out? What if it works out? What if she writes back? That my life is changed forever. Come on, somebody. So I wrote to her. Went there every single day for 10 days. And those moments, I was so tempted. Maybe she didn't get it. 
Maybe it's like too far. So do I, anyway, I, I thank God I didn't make that mistake. But I just went for it because I thought, you know what? Rejection is better than regret. Looking back, maybe that was a prophetic statement. I was willing to get out of the boat. What's the worst that could happen? I sink? I swim? Well, I know how to swim. But if it works somehow, maybe there's something deep within you. God is nudging your heart. And it doesn't really make sense. And you are deathly afraid of being rejected. You're deathly afraid of failing at this thing. That's what happens when we, in fact, do fail. Because Peter sets an example for us, not having great faith, but also having not so great faith. So Peter steps out in the water, right? He's looking at Jesus the whole time. And he said, I can't believe I'm walking on water. So cool. Maybe he was turning around to the boat to tell the friends what he was doing. He turns around. As soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, guess what happens? Uh Uh-oh, he lost balance. He began to sink. That part, I don't know. My ex-Jesus couldn't render the full meaning. Did he go down slowly? He began to sink. What does it mean he began to sink? Because last time I sank, I sank. There's no process of sinking. But it says, Peter began to sink. So maybe he's going down slowly. He's feeling it. And at the moment, he's, he looked at the surroundings. As soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he looked at his surroundings. He began to sink. And he's in the water. And he turns to Jesus again and says, Jesus, I'm falling in the water. Jesus, help me, help me. Lord, please help me. Please help me. And I love it. Jesus turns to him. Peter says, Lord, save me. Jesus turns to him. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took a hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? I don't think the tone of Jesus' voice here is anger. I don't, I don't read that verse where Jesus is full on raging. I don't, I don't see Jesus, oh, Peter, why did you hurt? Why did you talk? I see Jesus, I hear voices, oh, Peter, why did you doubt? That's all accountable. Peter, you did the right thing. I commend you for your faith. Oh, but Peter, you're so close. All you had to do was keep your eyes on me. Oh, Peter, come on. You you know me. You know I'm here for you. Why did you doubt? And Jesus goes to Peter at this time. He grabs Peter, pulls him out of water. And now, because of that cool incident, Peter gets to walk on water for the second time. This time, Jesus is walking. Peter, escort service, hello. He left the boat on his own, but he came back with Jesus on his side to his friends. The same guy who was so eager to volunteer to be a part of the miracle, he's also so quick to come for asking for Jesus' restoration as well. That's the beauty of Peter's faith. He's not ashamed. He's not remorseful. 
he understood that Jesus was the reason for this miracle. And he turns to Jesus. Jesus, please help me. Please come help me. If you are, for whatever reasons today, in a place of failure, maybe you have failed in an attempt at something where you feel like you really messed up, not only do you feel bad about yourself, but you no longer believe in yourself. If there's anyone among you today feeling like Peter felt at that moment where he sunk into the water, understand that at one voice he said, Lord, help me. Jesus is here to help you up. Jesus is here to restore you right back onto the place to the very thing which he had first called you for. He's here to restore your faith in him and in yourself. Perhaps you have made conclusions about yourself and God. Perhaps you have given a death sentence to your life, saying it's not possible anymore. For some of us, it's careers. For some of us, it's marriage. Some of us, it's friendships. Some of us, it's the church life, faith life. You put an end to it. I tried. It's not going to happen. Jesus says, it can't happen again, and it will happen again. This time, I'm going to pick you up. And this time, I'm going to walk with you. God says, you can do it again. I'm going to get you up, get you out of the water, And we're going to get back onto the water again. Come on. You can do this. You will walk again. I don't know what struggles you have in your heart today. I don't know what situations cause for you to exercise your faith in God. As I shared before, maybe some of you guys need to exercise your faith in regards to relationships. For some of us, it's time for us to exercise, activate our faith in having kids. Some of us, it's relocating. Perhaps it's moving to a new place. Some of us, it's business. God gives you an idea, but you look around, you have no money. Uh, You feel like your, your idea is not even that great. But you have this strong inclination that it's God-given idea. For some of us, it's, it's serving at church where you feel the tug to serve the church more. But you look around, man, I don't have experiences. I've never served in church before. I'm not even that good enough. I'm barely, like, coming out to church. But the nudge is there. You feel the tug. It's God, you know what? You've got to serve the church. Whatever that may be. May today be the day you leave for the possibility of the impossible happening in your life. Today, may your leaving your boat be the beginning of you beginning to walk on water. Your dreams, your plans, your ambitions. Church, when we say, Jesus, Christ, be thou my vision. This is my cry. This is my prayer. Lord Jesus, as long as I can see you, Lord, I will go wherever. I will do whatever because it is you.